in Luke chapter 5, as if you've looked at your Mark study, which hopefully you have, you see this is a, a similar account to what we've gone through in Mark, Mark chapter 2. Um, and this is Luke's writing of the account. And I started a little bit before um, the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning because I wanted us to see that what was happening before was Jesus was going about and uh, doing miracles. We read of cleansing this man from leprosy. And you can imagine that even though he told him to go and tell no one, that news spread quickly of what Jesus had done, of the miracle that had taken place. Now, if you think news travels extra fast nowadays, it traveled quickly back then, too. Um, Mankind has always been one that's very good at spreading news, right? In one way or another, we find if there's a will, there's a way to spread, spread news of excitement happening. So what was taking place here was Jesus had cleansed this man, and it says that because of these things, the reports concerning him uh, had risen up, and so great multitudes were flocking to be able to hear what Jesus was teaching, but I think most of them were probably there because they wanted to see Jesus do a miracle, or because they had someone that they wanted to bring to Jesus for him to cleanse, for him to heal. So here it says that uh, in verse 16, it said, so he himself often withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. And you can imagine Jesus is like, I need to get away to spend time with the father to uh, to be away from the multitude in my ministry and spend time with him. Now, there's a lesson in there for us, but that's not what we're looking at today. But there's definitely a lesson in there for us of If Jesus himself had to withdraw and get alone with God, how much more do we need to withdraw and get alone with God on a regular basis? So here in verse 16, then down through verse 26, we see a a dire situation facing a group of, of friends or a group of men that we want to look at today. So here in verse 17, it says, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers. People had gathered again, um, that they had come from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, They went up to the housetop and let him down on his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, the situation that they were facing, they had a friend who they wanted to bring to Jesus, like many others did, who they wanted to have to to be healed. Man who was paralyzed. We don't the Bible doesn't tell us what what had caused him to be paralyzed, whether it was from birth or whether it was something that had happened to him later on. It, it doesn't really matter to the, to the account. All we know is there was a man who was paralyzed, and his friend said, hey, we know that if we can take him to Jesus, then we can get our friend healed, and he can be, his body can may, be made whole. This Jesus had cleansed the man, man from leprosy, and he can heal our friend as well. And that's the hope that they had, the situation was it was very dire in that they needed to get their friend to Jesus. Now, 
Does anybody in here love going to places that are really crowded? I'm going to guess not so much because we live in southern Iowa. If you liked crowded places, you'd probably go. Maybe the state fair. But have you ever been in a crowd of people that maybe you're trying to get one location and the crowd is going an opposite way or going a certain... And and you find yourself kind of just going with the flow of traffic because you can't get out of the out of the crowd of people. Sometimes sporting events are like that, um, maybe some sort of rally or something. But if you've been in one of those situations, I, I've thought before, man, if something happens, you see how people could get trampled in a mass of people like this. Like, you can't just go wherever you want. And here, Jesus was teaching in a house, and it says that it was, it was packed full of people. Um, we may think it's crowded here on some Sunday mornings and we can't find a seat, but it, it was packed full, so much so that they couldn't even get into the door. So it's easy to read this account and, okay, so four friends brought their, brought their buddy and a par- man that was paralyzed and they wanted to bring him to Jesus and they couldn't get in. And we read through and the Bible doesn't go into great detail of what exactly happened, but I wanted us to start today by thinking a little bit. Think if this, if put yourself in this situation. So first of all, imagine you have a friend who is paralyzed, and maybe maybe for us, let, uh, let's imagine that that uh, John Leonard is here with us today, and we hear that Jesus is in town, and this Jesus, I know that if we can just get John to Jesus then Jesus has the power to heal. We have heard what he has done. He has the power to heal John. So there's, there's four of us guys. Now, first of all, they didn't have any electric wheelchairs. Okay? They, they, weren't, they weren't putting John in an electric wheelchair and letting him go his way to Jesus' house. So the men were picking him up and carrying him. So for a man who was paralyzed... He was completely dependent upon others for being moved from location to location. And many times during the Bible, all they could do was they would be set somewhere by their friends and they would beg for money in order to provide for their life. So here you have four friends that say, if we can just get John to Jesus, then he can be healed. So imagine you and three other people are like, hey, John, I'm sure you've heard of what's been going on of this Jesus. We have this idea of if we can just get you to him, then you can be healed of of this. So imagine picking him up and taking him. And as you're getting closer to where you hear that Jesus is. They weren't checking their phones to see, okay, what's the location? What's the GPS location of, of where Jesus is teaching today? They're getting closer. You can imagine the crowd and the noise outside. And here they are carrying their friend to meet Jesus. But then they get to the house and soon realize that there is nothing that they can do to get into the house. It would be impossible for one of them to get into the house, let alone four of them carrying a man who's paralyzed. So I, my mind was thinking as I was reading through this this week and thinking on it, 
I wonder if we saw like the video account of what happened. Did they stand outside the house and, and kind of, man, what are we going to do? How can we how can we get John to Jesus? How can we, man, the house is too crowded. And you wonder if one of them was like, well, we could, maybe if one of us went to the window and yelled fire in the window, maybe, maybe a lot of people would run out and then maybe we could snag Jesus. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm adding a lot to this because the Bible doesn't say exactly what was, was taking place in their minds. But you know, they had to be sitting there and thinking, how can we get our friend to the only hope that we have? How can we get him to Jesus? What can we do? And I wonder if one of them was like, okay, hear me out. Don't write it off right away. I have an idea. It's a little bit risky, but I have an idea. So we can climb, and a lot of the houses in this day, they, they didn't have rooftops like, like we do. They were flat. And many of them, from what I read, actually had stairs up the side of the house um, because they would often go up on top of the roof, maybe even sleep up there. You can imagine in hot weather, it'd be cooler at nighttime to go up there. So maybe he was like, hey, I have this idea. If we can get around to the side of the house, we can carry him up the stairs. And then once we're up there, we can bust a hole through the dirt and through the boards that that their roofs were made out of. And we can maybe we can find some rope around here. Maybe we can lower him down in. Now, remember, this is a paralyzed man that they're talking about lowering down. And it doesn't say how far they were lowering him. But you wonder if the friends were saying, okay, that might work. But how are we going to attach? I mean, did they attach a rope to each arm and a rope to each leg and lower him down? Um, how, How do you think they lowered him down? And then... Sometimes we get distractions during church services. We've had things happen. But we've never had, as we're meeting, a hole begin to open up in the roof and like wonder what is going on up there. Now, you know, as soon as they got up top, you know they could hear the commotion from down in the house as Jesus is teaching. And you wonder if Jesus just kept on talking or whether he paused and waited for the hole to break through. Um, And so they get up there with their paralyzed friend. They break a hole into the, the, the housetop and it says that they lower their friend down. Now you can imagine they break this hole and I'm, I'm guessing one of them sticks their head through the hole and kind of like looking to see where Jesus is. You know, okay, where's, are we in the right, did we bust in the right room? Like, is Jesus in this room? Like, are we in the right location? And then they like, okay, let's, let's lower our friend down into the room. So I hope you can maybe picture yourself. And I say John because that gives us a little bit of somebody to picture of that we're, we're hauling up on top and then we're going to lower him. And they were willing to do this because of the situation. They knew that Jesus was the only hope 
that their friend had of being healed. So they were willing to go to extreme measures because of this. So I wonder as a, as they're, they're meeting in this house and it's crammed full of people, all of a sudden you see somebody coming, <laughs> coming down. You think, man, what is going on in this place? The friends knew that Jesus was their only hope. Because their friend was paralyzed, they knew they needed to do what they could to try to help him. So what we see here are we see, we see four faithful friends represented in uh, Luke chapter 5. And I think we can learn some lessons from these friends about what they demonstrated here for their paralyzed friend. First of all, we see their compassion or their caring. They went to a lot of trouble because of the love that they had for this friend. And all that comes from compassion for their friend. Jesus, in his ministry, it often will say, and Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion because of his love for people, because of his caring. He was moved with compassion. Now, we see the opposite of that here in this passage as well. When we read about the Pharisees and the teachers, when we read about the religious leaders of this time, they were not moved with compassion for this guy. After he had been healed, what did they begin to, what did they begin? They, they were reasoning among themselves, it says. Who does this guy think he is? Does he think he's God that he can forgive sins? Well, that's exactly who he is. But that he can forgive sins. They were not moved one bit with compassion for this paralyzed man. And so as we think of our lives, think, who am I moved with compassion for? Do I see the needs of people around me? And am I moved with caring and compassion so that it moves me to do certain things? Or is it, oh, they interrupted what I was trying to get done today and this is are we moved with compassion? So these faithful friends were moved with compassion for their friend to try to help him. But then we see that they were also very courageous. These friends were very courageous and bold. They could have made a number of excuses. They could have said, man, do you see the size of that crowd? Well, well, John, we tried. You know, we did our best. We got you to the door and I guess it just wasn't meant to be. They could have said, well, I guess it must not have been God's will for you to get healed because otherwise we would have been able to see Jesus today. And many times you and I don't step out in faith because we are afraid what the risk might be. So, are we courageous in what God has called us to do? Are we courageous in sharing our faith? You know, this past summer, we even went through disciples making disciples to help give us the tools necessary to share our faith boldly. But are we stepping out in faith, trusting that this is what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do it? Joshua 1 and verse 9, a verse we're very familiar with, 
where it says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Why? Be the, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So we can be strong and of good courage when we know that we are doing what God has called us to do. We, we should be very courageous. We should be bold in our witness. I think of last week we had uh, missionary Bill Hansen with us. And here he is. He's going to be 82 years old this year. And uh, felt like God called him to leave the mission work in France and pack up and, and go to Norway and share with people. Now, that is courageous. 82 years old and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to Norway because the people need to hear the good news of salvation. That takes a lot of courage. It would be easy for him to say, you know what? I'm, I'm 82. I've, I've done my part. It's time for somebody younger to take over. It would be easy for him to make those excuses. But he's stepping out in faith, going back to his caring and compassion. The people of Norway need to hear the good news of salvation and is very courageous. But then... These friends were very creative. They were very creative in thinking outside of the box. Um, how many of us would have thought, man, if we can just bust a hole in the house, then we can just lower our buddy down. Now, some of you may have thought that. Um, some of you think that way of busting holes and stuff right away anyways. So, right, maybe some of you, that's your first instinct. Maybe if we could just blow a hole in the side of this, we could just get, get to Jesus but creative in thinking outside of the box. Now, we need to be creative in our outreach of friends and neighbors and family members. Now, this does not mean that we're, this does not mean being tricky, but it means being wise of what can I do to reach this friend of mine that doesn't know Christ? What is it that they're passionate about that maybe I can come alongside them to be able to share the gospel with them? But thinking outside of the box and being creative. But then they were also very committed. There was no going back once they started this plan. Once they started to get their friend to Jesus, there was no going back on it. They were going to do whatever was necessary to get their friend to the one that could help them. Once they were there, they didn't leave him at the door and say, hey, buddy, we'll be back for you. Maybe you can catch Jesus on the way out. Nope, they did what they needed to do to get their friend to the only hope that he had. But then we also see that uh, they also were, um, they also had great cooperation with one another. If one of the guys had said, hey, I'm out, this is too much, this is more than I bargained for, or if two of them, they probably would not have been able to get their, their friend lowered down to see Jesus. Maybe he maybe one of the friends was, "Hey, this is way more than I was anticipating. I you know, I I told my I told my friend that I was going to be golfing at three o'clock. I you know, I better hit the right. They could have come up with those excuses, but the friends all were focused on the mission of getting their loved one to Jesus. But then we also see that it was very costly for them. It took a lot of work. It wasn't like they just, hey, run home and grab a chainsaw and let's just, we'll just take care of this in a hurry. We'll zip a hole through this and we'll lower. No, it took a lot of work. And I kind of wonder in reading through this of 
who was responsible for repairing it? Did the guys come back after their friend had been healed? Or maybe they were like, hey, you're healed. You're good to go. You might as well take care of that now that you're feeling better. You might as well make yourself useful. Or maybe maybe they turned it into insurance. No, I doubt that happened, right? But it was costly. It wasn't an easy task for them, but they were willing to do it because of their compassion and their love for their friend. But then we come. So here that here comes the men bringing their friend. We need to have him physically healed. Now, as they lower him and Jesus sees him. Jesus response was not what they were anticipating. So Jesus sees and he sees their faith. He sees what they were willing to go to for their friend and he sees their faith. And he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. He doesn't say, be healed, rise up and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus knows that your greatest need, my greatest need, and as mankind, our greatest need, is not a physical problem, but it is a spiritual problem. It is a sin problem. And our greatest need is a need of forgiveness of sin, not of physical healing. If Jesus would have healed this man, sent him on his way, but this man was still in his sin, sooner or later he died, and that physical problem, he still had his problem, and he had his spiritual problem. And the problem that we face in our world today, it's easy for us to get distracted by all of these different things of policies and And this thing going into place in this, our problem in our world today is not one of physical problem, but it is a spiritual problem that we are facing. It is a sin problem. And Jesus knew that they came for physical healing, but their greatest need was one of spiritual healing. We know that in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, it says, what does it profit a man If he should gain the whole world, yet lose his soul. Here they came to help their friend out with physical healing. But Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you. At which the scribes and the Pharisees, it says, they began to reason among themselves saying, who does this man think he is? He blasphemes. Can he forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And I love It says, Jesus answered. Here they were thinking these things, and Jesus answered them what they were thinking. Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? Now, initially you you read that, and it's like, well, I mean, I guess maybe it's easier to, I don't know, is one easier to say than the other? But it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Because if you were to say your sins are forgiven you, what proof do you have that, that it's been done, that their sins have been forgiven? There's no vis, visual evidence that, that they have been forgiven. But if you say to someone who is paralyzed, rise up and walk, and that person does not rise up and walk, it's evident that that person has not been healed. And so Jesus was saying, it's easier to say, not to do, but it's easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you. 
But he's like, just to show you that I truly am the son of God, not only did I forgive his sins, but he also says to him, but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And it says immediately he rose. Now, I love when Jesus heals someone. It's not a partial healing. It's not a like he's healed, but his muscles are still weak and he has to learn to walk and he needs to go to physical therapy. And he, no, when Jesus heals someone, they get up and they're gone, right? They get up and they are restored. And Jesus seen the faith of these friends. And over and over again in the Bible, we see in in James that faith without works is dead, that our faith is evident by our demonstration or by our works. These men had faith and it was evident by their commitment to getting their friend to Jesus. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you because he saw their faith. And we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith is us trusting what God has said that he will do, that God will do exactly as he says. So faith is trusting God at his word or taking God at his word. So that means maybe times when I'm facing something in my life and and I'm reading the Bible and man, I don't see that playing out in my life. Faith is saying, God, your word says this. I may not see it right now. I may not feel it right now, but I know this is true. And one of the songs, I think the last one we sang, it talked about saying that God is good. God is good. I think in facing uh, trials and different things, reminding ourselves that God is good. There may be times when facing a trial where you're, you see with your eyes, you feel it does not seem like God is good right now. And that's where faith is coming back saying, I know from the word, I know that you are a good God and I am trusting this. I'm not trusting what I feel right now, but I am trusting that you are good. So they, they came to Jesus in faith and got more than they bargained for in that they found forgiveness of sin and found healing. And many times when we see a working of God, what we'll also find are many skeptics. And so that's what we find here with the Pharisees. There will always be naysayers to God's working. There will always be people that, even here, religious people that, oh, that's, that's not a working of God. That can't be done. And that's where keep your focus on Jesus, not on what's happening around you, but keep your focus on him. But then we see God's ultimate plan throughout all of this passage. And God's ultimate plan is the glory of God. God's ultimate plan, God wanted to show through a man who was paralyzed, through faithful friends, that he alone, he truly was God in the flesh. Not only by healing this man, but by forgiving his sins. That forgiveness of sin was his greatest need, and God always wants to meet our greatest need. In Matthew 13 and verse 58, a verse that, that I think is, is one of the sadder verses in the Bible, it says that Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown 
because of their lack of faith. Because of their lack of faith. And I thought, how many times in my life, how many times in our lives, has God not done something because of our lack of faith? Because of our lack of not stepping out in faith. Maybe, maybe he wanted to do something through us, but maybe because of fear, maybe because of listening to what other people are saying of why it can't be done. But how many times has God wanted to do something through us that we did not, we did not step out in faith? So God's plan in all of this was for his honor and glory. And we see that in verse 26. It says, And they were all glorifying God, and they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now, you, you wonder if the friends, when they saw their buddy healed down through the hole, you wonder if they were up on top of the roof, high-fiving each other. You wonder what their response. I'm sure there was great rejoicing up there of, not only did they hear that his sins were forgiven, but then Jesus restored him physically. And you know that there was, there was glorifying of God. They knew that their friend's only hope was Jesus. And then when they were able to get him there, they saw that their faith had found a resting place in God alone. So who does God want you to be a faithful friend to today? Who does God want you to use you to bring your friend to Jesus. It might be through just reaching out and befriending them, of being compassionate to them, of helping them out, of, of coming alongside them if they're hurting. And then are you urgent, like these, these friends were, in taking advantage of the time of getting your friends to Jesus? They could have said, oh, let's try again. I'm sure Jesus will be back again another day. Let's try again another time. Let's, let's go home. I mean, it's, it's hot out here. Let's go home. Let's try again another time. There'll be plenty of time. No, they did what they needed to do. So how urgent are you in the call that God has given each of us to bring your friends to Christ? So today, step out in faith, trusting God, knowing that God will always make a way and God wants to use you to be a faithful friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I thank you for the example of these, these friends. I thank you that you know our true condition and our true need. Lord, um, they came for physical healing for their friend, which was a great thing. Uh, it was moved out of compassion. But Lord, you saw their need and you knew that their greatest need was for forgiveness of sin and for salvation. Lord, I thank you that you saw us in our need. And your word tells us that even though we are still sinners, that you sent your son to die for us. We are thankful today, Lord, that we can have forgiveness of sin. And that as we have sung earlier, that we, we can have the hope of heaven that we look forward to because of the working of you. Lord, I thank you uh, that when we place our faith and trust in you, that it is steadfast, it is sure, it is a rock, unmovable, uh, that your word is true, and that you are 100% trustworthy. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, help us to be obedient to, to what your word is teaching us, that we would truly step out in faith, that we would make the most of each day, that we would be urgent in bringing people 
to the good news of salvation and to their only hope. Lord, we love you and we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen.